0: The United States and the Soviet Union on a sheet of ice in Lake Placid, New York. Muller trying to turn. There's the left foot. What a tracking shot! Johnny Muller. If you see a nine-nine, Olga Korbut won a gold medal. There it is. Five seconds left in the game.
1: You're listening to a podcast from Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, an online archive series showcasing the work of expert historians. I'm Vince Hunt and I'll be hosting the series, asking each guest to choose an important document or artefact they think is of great significance in the Cold War sports arena. A telephone call from President Kennedy in March 1963 demanding to know why the US hockey team has done so badly at the World Championships is the topic of our next conversation. Kennedy was calling David Hackett an advisor to his brother Robert, looking for reasons for the 17-2 to 2 pasting the hockey team had just suffered at the hands of Sweden. John Soares is a historian of both sport and history at the University of Notre Dame in South Bend, Indiana. John, what's the background to all of this? 17-2 to 2 is a hell of a defeat.
0: 17-2 to 2 is an epic defeat. Uh, it's the sort of thing you almost never see except when somebody like a superpower like Canada or the Soviet Union is pasting uh, a team that's just up from the B-Pool. If you have a team like the United States where you expect to at least be competitive, I mean, 17-2 to 2 is beyond the sort of thing that you ever see in hockey. Well, it's a, it's a schoolboy score, isn't it? Uh, yeah, a schoolboy score with a, with a real good team playing a real bad team. You just don't see it in the World Championships with serious competitive teams. Can you explain why did the team do so badly? The United States used to struggle in the world championships any it was a non-Olympic year. For a long time, the world championships and Olympic years were the Olympics. In an Olympic year, you could get the best American amateurs. The college kids would take time off from college. The recent graduates could find a way to justify taking the time away from their jobs. For a world championship in a non-Olympic year, there just wasn't enough prestige. The college kids couldn't afford the time off. The graduates couldn't afford the time away from their jobs. And it was always a problem. Uh, What was also going on by 1963 is uh, a number of the countries in the world, particularly Europe, who had been hockey powers for a while, but had been solid competitive powers, were becoming much, much better. The Soviet Union was one. Sweden was another. Czechoslovakia was getting stronger. So for a long time, throughout the 50s into the early 60s, for the Americans, you may get waxed by Canada, but other than that, you expected to at least be competitive. And if you get, if you lost a game six to two, that would be a poor showing. Things like 17 to two to Sweden. Were completely unheard of. Sweden were by no means slouches, were they at that time? At the 1962 World Championships, which had been held in the United States, and which the Soviets and the Czechoslovakians and the other communist countries boycotted, uh, Sweden won the World Championship. So Sweden, admittedly in a depleted field, uh, but Sweden was the defending World Champion, and they were playing on home ice in Stockholm. Uh, So this may have been something of a perfect storm of events uh, to generate a Swedish thrashing of the Americans. But still, you don't expect the Americans, if you follow hockey, to take that kind of beating from a team like that. It must have
1: been a blow, not just to sporting prestige, but like to any kind of prestige
0: that you could mention, particularly for a man like uh, John F. Kennedy. Well, Kennedy took sports seriously shortly before his inauguration. He wrote an article for Sports Illustrated arguing that Americans had a duty and an obligation in the context of the Cold War to be fit and physically active. We needed to be better than the communists in all imaginable ways, intellectually, physically, mentally and so he was a big proponent of fitness and strength in sports and this is what motivated him to to call Hackett and say find out what's going on because what happened in the United States and in most of the capitalist democracies you didn't have much if any government involvement with the sports program in the Soviet system there would have been a much clearer line of authority between the sports officials uh, and, the, and the political leaders but one of Kennedy's questions to Hackett is Who's sponsoring this team? Who organized this team? Uh, it just was something where he, he didn't know, and he wanted to find out, uh, and it took a little bit of investigation by Hackett to figure that out. Dave, I noticed in the paper this morning where the Swedish team beat the American hockey team 17-2. to 2. Yeah, I saw that. Christ, who are we sending over there, girls? Uh, they they won a game. I know it. I mean, who got them up? I don't know. I can check into it. God, we got some pretty good hockey players, haven't we? Yeah, I think, well,
1: yeah. Right, I suppose they're all playing in their college teams, are they, or something? Yep. I'd like to find out whether it was done under what, uh, who
0: sort of sponsors it and uh, what kind of players they've got. Because oh, uh, I think it's a disgrace to have a team that's 17 to 2. That's yeah. about as
1: bad as I've ever heard, isn't it? And they've been beaten by everybody by yeah. the boys
0: are almost equal to that. Yeah, so it's, uh, obviously, you uh, we shouldn't send a team unless we can send a good one. Will you find out about it let me I'll know? I'll find out about it okay. you know. Find I'll know. find out about it you know. David Hackett was an advisor to Robert Kennedy. Robert Kennedy, the president's younger brother, was the attorney general of the United States. Uh, And I believe Hackett was part of the Harvard crowd that had gone to work in the Kennedy White House. And why is Kennedy calling him? What could he do about it? I can understand
1: how how Kennedy is there reading the papers and going 17 to 2. This is ridiculous. We've got to do something about it. I need to call somebody. And people are saying, you're
0: the president. You must do something. He thinks... Who do I call? This, I think, illustrates the the problems the Americans had in building a sports program. There was no logical, obvious, you have a sports question, you call this official in this government agency and he'll get you the answer. Uh, It was pretty much an ad hoc effort to try to develop an ad hoc response to a question, why are we getting killed by Sweden so badly? Uh, so Hackett's the one who, who feels the call and takes it seriously enough to deliver a memo the next day. It's one of these kind of offbeat,
1: unguarded moments, isn't it?
0: It certainly sounds unguarded out of Kennedy, and Hackett obviously has no idea he's being recorded. Presidential recordings were probably a relatively new thing, and for Kennedy, obviously, he was still a relatively new president, so for him it was a new thing. Then I think for Kennedy, he would have anticipated that no one was going to hear the recording without his approval, so he wouldn't necessarily be thinking, "Okay, I need to parse my words carefully here and only say exactly what I mean, exactly the way I mean it, Our historians will someday look back and wonder, why did JFK insult women everywhere by comparing them to the 1963 U.S. hockey team in Stockholm? It jars a little, doesn't it? Well, it jars today, I think, in that era, Women did not have the same expectations, however much they might want them. And a lot of men tended to have a view of women that we would consider antiquated or condescending or just plain insulting in referring to women as girls, and referring to athletes who were not performing well, male athletes who weren't performing well as girls, I think that was the sort of thing that would have been done ritually or routinely. And I think Kennedy would have tossed off a comment like that without a second thought. Even if he knew this was going to be recorded and made public, I'm not sure it would have occurred to a man and an athlete of Kennedy's generation that what that particular phrase that anybody would ever object to that
1: you've turned up hackett's response to jfk in a memo what does he say
0: he explains that it's really difficult for the americans uh to to be competitive in non-olympic years if he actually writes quote it is difficult to attract the talent available in an off olympic year most of the good players who are out of college cannot afford to go most of the good players in college cannot afford to take the time. He also says that they had some organizational problems in 1963 and they weren't as good as typically. Uh, as typical American World Championship teams, but you still have that overriding problem. You can't get the best players in a non-Olympic year. And then he reassures Kennedy, looking toward 1964. The Olympic team is going to be coached by the Dartmouth coach, Eddie Jeremiah. Uh, Eddie Jeremiah is a legend of college coaching in the United States. And he assures President Kennedy it will be a, quote, a good team and will be representative of this country. 64 we're going to be better. President Kennedy and Hackett are both Harvard men, so he gives him an update on Harvard and Boston College, which at that time was the big rivalry in Eastern hockey. And there are three players who play on a line, and their last names begin with J, F, and K. Jerry Jorgensen, Bill Fryer, and Gene Kanasewicz. The final line in the memo says that the Harvard coach wanted me to tell you that this line became known in Boston as the JFK line. Jorgensen fryer Kanasevich, the JFK line. Kennedy calls Hackett on March 13th. The date of the memo responding to that is March 14th. So this was taken seriously enough for for Hackett to get right on it, and it's clear to me with the quotes from Cooney Weiland, who's the longtime hockey coaching legend at Harvard, that what Hackett did was pick up the phone, call Cooney Weiland, ask him a couple of questions, and then did the memo. So
1: what happened to the U.S. hockey team after this? Was there a shakeup? Were, were heads broken, as it were?
0: The U.S. approach to hockey remains pretty much unchanged for about the next five or six years. Uh, they're able to assemble a pretty good team of collegiate players coached by a reputable usually college coach they don't do as well as they would like before the soviets emerged as a power the americans typically were olympic silver medalists they couldn't get past canada for the longest time and only get past canada uh... when the soviets arrived so the americans beat the canadians and then lost to the russians Uh, so after a long history of winning a lot of Olympic medals, the Americans are still able to put together pretty good Olympic teams. They do struggle against the improved competition. In the non-Olympic years, their world tournament teams tend to be kind of thrown together ad hoc, who's willing to coach them, who's willing to play. Uh, By 1969, they're getting beaten by the Soviets by scores comparable to this 17 to Two performance, I think it was 17 to 1 in their first game against the Soviets. And the player who served as player coach of the 69 team, who'd been a, a hero of the 1960 Olympic team, uh, a former University of Minnesota All American named John Masich, is quoted in the New York Times saying that it's a ridiculous way to approach world championships. Uh, In the late 60s, early 70s, the Americans will attempt to maintain some continuity in their world championship teams. They will have a group of players play together on a team in an amateur league that's based in and around Minnesota and the Twin Cities uh, with a coach named Murray Williamson. Uh, And they try to develop some continuity, get some guys playing together multiple years in world championships and get ready for the Olympics. And they will go to Sapporo, Japan. Uh, in 1972 and win a surprising silver medal. That's one of the the forgotten glories of American hockey. There are a lot of people who don't know about the silver medal at Sapporo in 1972. Uh, So the Americans will get a little more organized, although that's more a result of the disappointing Olympic performances in 1964 and 68 and the continuing struggles in the World Championships. But even after they attempt to get a little more organized, they still can't compete in any way with what the Soviets are attempting. Uh, And for the rest of the Cold War, American teams are going to struggle in world championships, although they will have periodic moments where their Olympic performances will be good. The 72 team wins a silver medal. The 1980 team, most Americans know, won the gold medal. The 1976 team tied for third place but missed out on a bronze medal on the tiebreakers. So they get a little better in the 70s and into '1980. Uh, but then they do, they do fall off in the 80s. And the other thing I should point out is they get so bad in the early 70s after the World Championship in 1969 that I mentioned with Johnny Mayasich uh, being the unhappy player coach of that team. The Americans actually drop to the B pool for a number of years in the early 70s. They have to qualify early in the 72 Olympics to even make the medal round competition. They play a close game against Switzerland, uh, could have gone either way that's how close they got to being eliminated before the tournament even began for metal contention in Sapporo so the americans get a little better but it's not a straight line it's not a linear progression it's not a real clearly thought out coherently organized approach and i think if you were to talk to the people who were doing this in the late sixties and early seventies they probably would have had no knowledge that President Kennedy had called Hackett in 63 and said, find out what's going on with this team.
1: You've been listening to a podcast from the series Key Moments in Cold War Sports History, a project bringing together experts from around the world and hosted here on the Wilson Center's online digital archive at digitalarchive.org.